Hello everyone, it's July 27th and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide. My name is David McAdam and I'm delighted that we can be reading and hearing the Word of the Lord together. I know my life has benefited immensely from reading the scriptures and trusting the power of God's Spirit to apply it to my life. I love being reminded that I am dependent upon God's mercies, and they are new every morning. I love reading, hearing, studying, meditating, and memorizing the Word of God. The Apostle Paul instructed his protege, Timothy, to give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. And this is what we intend to do together. Let's encourage each other to live in the light of God's self-revelation through His Word and pursue His greater redemptive purposes in our lives. We are in the Old Testament book of Second Chronicles and the New Testament epistle to the Romans. We are learning in the Old Testament of Israel's hope for a righteous king who will not forsake the way of the Lord. And we are seeing in the New Testament that Jesus of Nazareth is the realization of that hope for both Jew and Gentile. Let's go now to today's reading in Second Chronicles chapter 19. We are following the chronicler's special record of the descendants of David that come to the throne in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah during that period when Israel has been divided into two separate kingdoms. We will be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV, 2 Chronicles chapter 19. Jehoshaphat's Reforms Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asheroth out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He appointed judges in the land in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. Moreover, in Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat appointed certain Levites and priests and heads of families of Israel to give judgment for the Lord and to decide disputed cases. They had their seat at Jerusalem, and he charged them, Thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness and with your whole heart, whenever a case comes to you from your brothers who live in their cities, concerning bloodshed, law or commandment, statutes or rules, then you shall warn them, that they may not incur guilt before the Lord, and wrath may not come upon you and your brothers. Thus you shall do, and you will not incur guilt. And behold, Amariah the chief priest is over you in all matters of the Lord, and Zebediah the son of Ishmael, the governor of the house of Judah, in all the king's matters, and the Levites will serve you as officers. Deal courageously, and may the Lord be with the upright." Chapter 20, Jehoshaphat's Prayer After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar. 
that is, Engedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court, and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it, and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. And the Levites, of the Kohathites and of the Kororites, stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning, and went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction, and when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground, none had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. 
They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of that place has been called the valley of Baraka to this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Thus Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was thirty-five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty-five years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. He walked in the way of Asa his father, and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. The high places, however, were not taken away. The people had not yet set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, from first to last, are written in the chronicles of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which are recorded in the book of the kings of Israel. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joined with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted wickedly. He joined him in building ships to go to Tarshish, and they built the ships in Ezion-Geber. Then Eliezer, the son of Dodavahu, of Maresha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have joined with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. And the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. This is the end of our reading from the Old Testament portion from Second Chronicles. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have just read. Remember that despite in being disguised, Ahab was killed as predicted by the prophets. Jehoshaphat was spared by the mercy of the Lord, even though he was clothed in battle to appear to be Ahab. Although Jehoshaphat escapes death, he does not escape the notice of God. He is to be held accountable for his actions. Today's reading begins with Jehoshaphat being reprimanded by the prophet Jehu, the son of Hanani, for his unholy alliance with King Ahab, even though Ahab was his son's father-in-law. The true prophets of God were not afraid to speak the truth. Jehu's father, Hanani, had spent time in jail as a result of telling the truth to King Asa, so he knew that speaking the truth may bring uncomfortable consequences, in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verses 7-10. through 10. Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord, and so bring wrath on yourself from the Lord? Second Chronicles chapter 19, verse 2. This should make us think about our own lives. Do we compromise our obedience to the Lord? Do we flaunt His counsel? Do we aid the cause of the wicked? Are we in an unholy alliance with those who hate the Lord and further their cause? The New Testament has some strong warnings of those who make unholy alliances. Paul writes about the unequal yoke. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Or therefore, come out from the midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Sadly, Jehoshaphat did not learn from this mistake, but he repeats it again, making an alliance with Ahaziah, the next king of Israel. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel. 
he acted wickedly in doing so, so he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezion-Geber. Then Eliezer, the son of Dodavahu, of Merashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. So the ships were broken and could not go to Tarshish. There were many positive features about the reign of Jehoshaphat that was recorded in Second Chronicles chapters 19 and 20. But there is some good in you, for you have removed the Asheroth from the land, and you have set your heart to seek God. Second Chronicles 19 verse 3. Jehoshaphat helped to turn people back to the Lord. In Second Chronicles chapter 19, verse 4, he appointed God-fearing judges and blessed them. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be very careful what you do, for the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality or the taking of a bribe. Second Chronicles chapter 19, verse 7. One aspect of any spiritual revival is that the participants experience the fear of the Lord being upon them. The fear of the Lord is having a very strong, healthy awareness of God's holy presence, to the degree that you would only want to do what is pleasing to Him. There is a fresh appreciation for God's holiness, love, truth, purpose, and the grace of our Lord Jesus as He moves among us. There is also an awareness of the danger of incurring God's wrath by sinning against the Lord. In Second Chronicles chapter 19, verse 10, This revived spiritual state will deter the practice of sin, those who truly fear the Lord will put their trust in Him. Not only were the judges, but also the leaders and the heads of the families were commanded to fear the Lord. He gave them these orders, You must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 19, verse 9 Chapter 20 reminds us that the battle belongs to the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15 when Jehoshaphat learns that a vast army of Moabites, Ammonites, and Munites had already encroached upon their territory of Engedi and had plans to war against him, he proclaims a fast for all Judah. A fast is customarily called when people are facing a calamity and there is a recognized need to make a serious appeal to the Lord. It is a concentrated time for seeking God's wisdom and help in the crucial hour. By abstaining from the daily routine of food preparation and eating, they could devote that extra time to humbling themselves, repenting of their sin, and asking for God's forgiveness and help. Their hunger pains would remind them of their weakness and dependence upon the Lord. The discomfort of not receiving their daily bread would reinforce their feelings of penitence. Jehoshaphat calls a solemn assembly and prays in front of the temple courtyard. He begins by hallowing the name of the Lord, praising God for who He is and what He has done. He also affirms the fact that they are standing in grace, the land God had promised his friend Abraham and delivered into their hands. He affirms the promise that the temple in Jerusalem represents a place where their prayers can be heard. It is a placeholder for the one perfect mediator, Christ Jesus. Those in the temple, prefiguring those in Christ Jesus, can cry out in his name and God will hear and save us. Jehoshaphat spells out the present reality. The enemy outnumbers us, and we do not know what to do. And then he proclaims the faith of God's people. Our eyes are on you. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, a Levite, and descendant of Asaph, with a prophetic word. 
And he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. David had spoken similar words when facing Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47. Jehaziel continues to prophesy, You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17. This reminds us that as Christians facing various spiritual battles, we are called to take up our position and stand firm. Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. The people responded to the revelation of God's word with worship and praise. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 18 and 19. Notice their various body postures as they gave God their worship. Some bowed their heads, some prostrated themselves before the Lord, some stood up to praise the Lord with a very loud voice. In this battle, Jehoshaphat exhorts his troops to put their trust in the Lord and his word. He appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they sang, the Lord set ambushes against the invading army and defeated them. Not one of the enemy troops escaped alive. It took three days to collect the spoil. On the fourth day, the people of Judah had a praise celebration in the valley of Baraka. Baraka means blessing. The valley was named Blessing because of what took place there. What will you name your valleys? The final events recorded in Jehoshaphat's life underscore the great cost of his unholy alliance with Ahaziah, chapter 20, verses 35 through 37. There is an example of God opposing the proud. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, agreed to engage in an impressive construction project with Ahaziah, the king of Israel. Together they built a fleet of trading ships. After they were built, the prophet Eleazar prophesied that the Lord would destroy what you have made. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 37. The ships were wrecked and were never able to be launched for their much-anticipated trading ventures. Now let's move to our next stop on our Bible tour in the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 10, beginning with verse 14, and we will read through to chapter 11, verse 12. Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news! But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. 
I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Chapter 11 I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they may fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And that's the end of today's excerpt from Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Now let's take a few moments to unpack what we have just read. Remember that Paul's letter to the Romans is a pastoral letter and not merely a doctrinal one. How are Jewish and Gentile believers to relate to one another? He is making it clear that there is one Messiah for both Jew and Gentile, and his name is Jesus. He is calling both Jews and Gentiles to believe the gospel of the one true God concerning his Son. Paul is also explaining what has happened with the Jewish people in the context of the overarching plan of redemption. Although many Jews were rejecting the message, God was not finished with them yet. When Paul talks about the unbelief among those who were currently blinded by an apostate Judaism that he was once a part of, you can imagine his heart breaking. He shows how the God-given revelation given to Moses had been misinterpreted and turned into a counterfeit religion. It mandated outward conformity to a system of rabbinical tradition, rituals, and futile self-justifying attempts to keep the commandments. They were ignorant of the purpose of the law and the gift of God's righteousness. Instead, they created their own brand of pseudo-righteousness. They failed to see that Christ was the end of the law for righteousness for all who believe. Paul reminds his readers of the privileges of the Jews. They were to respect them for it. They had the oracles of God, the law, and the prophets. That word of God was made freely available and accessible to them by God's grace. That revelatory word clearly pointed to Christ. In the Old Testament, Moses spoke of this privilege of having the word of God, the Torah, at hand in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. 
Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14. God gave His word to them, His holy promise. It is accessible to them. They did not have to go to heaven to get it. They did not have to descend into the abyss. They just had to believe the word in their hearts. They did not have to lift a finger. Just believe. Paul takes these same scriptures about the written word and applies them to Christ, the living word. If only the Jews would forsake their manufactured folk religion and believe the God-given word in their hearts. Jesus is the word. He is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. His death on the cross fulfills the law's demand for our just penalty for sin. His life in us by the Holy Spirit fulfills the demands of the law in us as we walk by faith after the Spirit. The gospel calls us to faith. Believe and you will receive. Salvation is a free gift, but God uses the activities of human beings as His means in the work of salvation. He uses the activities of calling, believing, hearing, preaching, going, and sending. And all these activities are done in relationship to His Word. Notice the actions involved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Although Romans chapter 10 verses 14 and 15 has an application to the ministry of the word going forth today from the believers in Christ's church in the context of the letter, Paul is speaking about Israel. They have already had the word of God, the message of Christ, brought to them. The apostles were sent. The message was preached. The message was heard. Some who heard believed and called upon the Lord, but some, through their unbelief, have had their heart hardened to the gospel. Yet notice that God says that He has outstretched His hands in an offer of mercy all the day long. But as for Israel, He says, All the day long I have stretched out My hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Romans chapter 10, verse 21. However, God gives some up to their hardened hearts. Yet by the working of the word and corresponding faith, some hearts are softened. For the most part, Israel as a nation has not yet believed. Paul is convinced that God has not yet rejected his people whom he foreknew. Paul was once Saul, a persecutor of the church, and yet God has shown his mercy in revealing to him the truth about Jesus, saving him from the wrathful judgment his sins deserve. And like Elijah, whom God reminded was not the only surviving believer of his generation, but part of an unknown remnant, Paul is convinced that he is not a lone recipient of mercy among the Jews. There is a remnant of Jews reserved for salvation according to God's gracious choice. Paul sees that God is using the hardening of the hearts of his people, Israel, to provide an impetus for the gospel to go to the world of the Gentiles. He is also using the receptivity of the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous for the experience of a personal transformative relationship of peace with God. Now let's move on to our next stop on our Bible tour, the book of Psalms. We are in Psalms 21, verses 1 through 13. The king rejoices in the Lord's strength. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. 
you have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips for you meet him with rich blessings you set a crown of fine gold upon his head he asked life of you you gave it to him length of days for ever and ever his glory is great through your salvation splendor and majesty you bestow on him for you make him most blessed for ever you make him glad with the joy of your presence for the king trusts in the lord and through the steadfast love of the most high he shall not be moved your hand will find out all your enemies your right hand will find out those who hate you you will make them as a blazing oven when you appear the lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them you will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man though they plan evil against you though they devise mischief they will not succeed for you will put them to flight you will aim at their faces with your bows be exalted o lord in your strength we will sing and praise your power songs are so often written to glorify the trivial or honor that to which honor is not due but here is a song written to glorify god and honor the lord who gives strength salvation blessing life health and every good thing psalm 21 is considered a sequel to psalm 20 in psalm 20 prayers and petitions are offered that express the desires of the king's heart in psalm 21 those prayers petitions and heart's desires are answered in psalm 20 victory is asked for in psalm 21 thanks is given to god who has given the victory in psalm 20 petition is made that the anointed king be preserved in psalm 21 the king is full of praise for the favor that has been shown in having his prayers answered in verses 1 through 6 the king has been made joyful with gladness in his presence splendor and majesty have been set upon him in verses 7 through 13 we hear a declaration of faith the king trusts in the lord and is confident that he will give him victory over all his enemies when you read this psalm you can think of king jesus as the anointed one standing in the place of king david though the wicked devise a plot against god's anointed son they will not succeed the gates of hell shall not prevail against christ and his church be exalted o lord in your strength we will sing and praise your power psalm 21 verse 13 now let's move on to today's final stop on our bible tour the bible's treasure chest of wisdom the book of proverbs and we will be drawing three verses from the bible's treasure chest proverbs chapter 20 verses 4 5 and 6 the sluggard does not plow in the autumn he will seek at harvest and have nothing the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water but a man of understanding will draw it out many a man proclaims his own steadfast love but a faithful man who can find let's unpack these proverbs a farmer who is too lazy to plow and plant in the autumn will not have a harvest in the spring sometimes the autumn season can be cold and wet conditions are not always comfortable and convenient there are plenty of excuses for a lazy person to draw from yet without putting in the effort in the proper season the sluggard will be begging for food when he could be reaping a harvest human beings have a deep capacity to devise plans and achieve goals but it is important to understand that unless they properly evaluate and implement their plans their plans never come to fruition. 
It is like having a deep well of water, but dying of thirst because the well is never drawn from. Some have related this proverb to the gift of counseling, being able to help others draw out the attitudes, motivations, and perceptions hidden in the heart. The third and final proverb is one that easily directs us to Christ. Many profess steadfast love, but the true faithful man is Christ. May we all discover his trustworthiness. He is mighty to save, and he is faithful to his word, and may he make us faithful men and women. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word and the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. We stand firm in the perfect provision of a right standing with you in your Son and take confidence in your unfailing promises. We ask that you send laborers into the harvest who will be faithful to preach your word. We pray that you will cause ears to hear and hearts to believe. Keep us from unholy alliances and projects not founded on heavenly wisdom. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. It's been a joy to have you with us on our reading journey today. We know that the scriptures make us wise and that we're able to apprehend God's truth about salvation and about our own personal objective to grow to be more like Jesus. Thank you for being a part of this community. We love hearing from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. If you would like to know more about the ministries of New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, or our missions around the world, or newlifefinearts.org, you can go to our website. And there you can also subscribe to a daily email where there is a written copy of our commentary on each day's portion from the One Year Bible. So until next time, may the peace of the Lord be with you.